When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. We know who runs the route, but now it's time. But now it's time to dive into the guys throwing the ball. Welcome to QB Class. Presented by Reception Perception. Here's your host, Zach Miller and Derek Classen. And we're back. Week 14 in the books. Another episode of QB Class coming at you. I'm Zach Miller of Reception Perception here with quarterback guru Derek Klassen for this episode of QB Class. How you doing, Derek? How was your week 14? I'm doing good, man. Um, coming off of, it, it's always weird when you get into the part of the schedule where we're back to having like Monday night doubleheaders. It's very disorienting. Yeah. And then for Tommy DeVito and Will Levis to like put together legacy drives to end those games. Just it, it was it was a weird week. Yeah, it was a weird ending to like a pretty good week of, of football. So glad to be here. Feels good. Yeah, man. I how do you feel about the Monday night doubleheaders? I'm vehemently against it. I, I hate having to flip back and forth, mainly because it's not even that there's football going on at the same time because we deal with that on Sundays. I'm cool with that. I hate that it's on both on ESPN at the same time because I feel like it makes me like pick. And I hate it. I didn't pick. I pulled up two mon- two screens on my monitor and had both of them. But I understand for some people it's frustrating. That's the thing. If we're going to do a doubleheader, let's start one at like 3.30. Uh, stagger it a like, little. Yeah, like let's stagger it. Let me, we can at least watch like the final quarter of the last game in peace and the first quarter of the first game in peace and not have this like ridiculous conflict. Um I will say, it, like at the very least, if they're going to do these doubleheaders, at least they're not putting like two juggernaut games at the same time. At least this was like whatever. I mean, they were still like important games, kind of, but at least it wasn't like Eagles Cowboys conflicting with some other superstar matchup. So, yeah, and they they both weren't supposed to be juggernaut games. I think the double upset was kind of crazy, um, and the most. New York quarterback we've probably ever seen <laughs> play football for the Giants uh, coming out with the W. And then Will, Will Levis coming back, and I pronounced it correctly this time. I got some heat for that on our Discord I know, and people Twitter. Were on about that. <laughs> um, 
Will Levis, yeah, coming back. And uh, I, I almost turned that game off, actually. I was like, oh, good. Dolphins drove down, stunned, fumbling away. And uh, I'm glad I didn't because it was a good ending. Um, but neither of those are the quarterbacks we're talking about today. So as, as much as we're rambling on about Monday Night Football, it's because we love football. Um, we've got a little bit of a old man in the sea type of episode here today. Uh, we're, we're covering a little bit of the old, covering a little bit of the new. And that that leads us to starting off with Joe Flacco, the new heir apparent quarterback for the Browns, the fourth quarterback for the Browns this year to win a regular season game, which I think, if anything, is just an insane testament to how good their defense is, having four different quarterbacks win games. Usually that leads to a really, really good defensive conversation. Um, but we've now had two weeks of Flacco. If you play fantasy football, he's been manageable there and with the quarterback field there are definitely worse options than he's been the last couple weeks but you charted out his week 14 game um have you charted flacco ever in the past before no never because i never even really did uh nfl charting before um this past off season when i when i charted the 2022 season obviously he wasn't really on my radar as somebody who would matter uh, but here we are, and he, he kind of matters because the, the Browns might be a playoff team and he might he might start a playoff game. I think we need to yeah, like prepare ourselves for the fact that he might start a playoff game in 2023. I, I tweeted this out, but I was like, I think he genuinely came back just for the chance to play the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs and knock <laughs> out just the ultimate revenge play. Just like I have a shot here to knock out Lamar and the Ravens in the playoffs. And he does have a chance. So, the, I mean, the, the Browns are a good team um, and really one of those, we say a quarterback away about so many teams, but this really feels like one of those teams that like is truly a quarterback away. I don't think 38-year-old Flacco, crazy that 38, like he's younger than like Rodgers who were excited for coming back. But 38-year-old Flacco is probably not the answer. But what did you see from him last week during your charting about just moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, he's he's in a weird position because on on one hand, it's a conflicting performance because on one hand, they very clearly trust him a lot. I mean, he's a veteran. He's played hundreds of games before. He knows what to do. And you watch him. He's the guy who makes a lot of quick decisions. He's not making poor decisions with the ball. He knows what to do with it. More importantly, he knows which guys to feed. Like he's throwing to Amari Cooper every single time that he can. And if he's not, he's going straight to Elijah Moore. Like he knows where his bread is buttered and the offense is kind of designed to let him do that. So I do think on one hand, it's really impressive that they've done that. And like they've given him a lot of volume. Like they're asking him to drop back a lot, which I think is partly because the run game is not what it could be because obviously Nick Chubb is, has been out. So um, I think it's cool that they've been able to do that. What I will say is that the consistency of his of his performance is not really there yet. Um, and I think that's just natural for like Flacco has kind of always been that way, especially in terms of ball placement. You know, I, like I said, I hadn't really charted him before, but you just watched him in Baltimore or even with the Jets like he's just going to miss throws. Like that's what he does, especially in the short area. Like in this game, I charted, he went 11 of 17 in the one to five yard area specifically. That's not good. Like that's, that's like 60 ish percent in that range. You want to be like 80%, 85%. Like you really want to be humming. And he was, he was pretty bad there. He was also really bad in the 16 to 20 area, which to be fair in this game was a lot of like 
trying to just force a back shoulder bar ball to uh, Amari Cooper, which from a process standpoint, you kind of get like that's 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 where you got to go with the ball um, in this offense. But he just wasn't able to connect on any of those. So um, I think that was a problem. The other big thing, he was bad on third down. He went six of 15 um, just in terms of accuracy on third down. And I think they only com- they only converted like three of them in terms of passing. So, you know, part of that is just he doesn't have any juice to go create. And so, um, you know, that's obviously a big issue for him. I think he had like one play in this game, but that's really all he had. So he really gives them a veteran presence. And that's awesome. And you can see the arm strength really fits some of these really tough throws. But on a down to down basis, it's still a little it's still a little shaky. That's for sure. So we've seen a couple quarterbacks starting for the Browns this year, including Deshaun Watson, who's out for the season. Um, but PJ Walker, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, what sets what sets Flacco apart from those guys? If if you're moving forward for the season, I I believe there was reports that Flacco is the starting quarterback, even though he got reverted back to the practice squad already. Um, so let's say he's moving forward as a starting quarterback. What what traits are going to set him apart? from those other two guys that would have you start him above them or would you start him above them if you were making that decision i definitely would and to me it's two things one it comes it, it's arm talent i think he his arm is is still really damn good and there were some throws even in this game where he's like throwing a dig route or he he's like trying to fit in a ball on like a comeback route or something and it's like oh okay he's, he's still got the juice he can make some really you know big boy throws and i think that's important and i think Watson really doesn't have the arm strength he used to have. And I, I think Flacco certainly has a better arm than than Walker and DTR. I think the other thing is just in terms of like schematic flexibility, Flacco has a lot more to him than the other guys did. Like DTR can kind of do some of the RPO stuff and some of the, the basic quick game stuff. Can't do anything else. PJ Walker was like kind of good at getting into like the we go under center, we play action, we throw down the field couldn't really do anything else Deshaun Watson could kind of do a little bit of everything but in in almost in the same vein as Flacco like just not very consistent this year and I think really what makes him different than Flacco is like Flacco consistently makes decent decisions on time even if the accuracy can be a little bit shaky Watson's decision making was all over the place this year Um, and it really has been since since he's came back to the field so I think really just what sets Flacco apart is he knows how to run the offense the offense can kind of do a little bit of everything to stay fresh. And I think Stefanski does an awesome job of that. And then he's still got the arm to make two or three like really cool throws a game where you're like, OK, we got a chunk play. We can rely on, on the run game a little bit and, and put some easier throws together to actually get into the end zone. You talked a little bit about his inability to create in the pocket, which at 38 year old, he doesn't have the legs that he did. He never really had the legs. Never that really was had, not yeah. his thing. <laughs> um, but how much do the, does this offense even need him to create? You know, I mean, that's like the, the argument for starting Dorian Thompson Robinson is like his legs. You know, he can run around. He, he can run for first down, things like that. But that's not a huge part of the Stefanski offense. He kind of wants you to run the scheme a little bit more than we've seen from like like obviously there are quarterbacks to get the reins handed to them like Prescott we've seen this year has had the reins handed to him Lamar does what he does and that's the sort of thing but I feel like the the Browns kind of need someone to just run the plays like almost like a 
uh, like Brock Purdy is the biggest comparison, you know, but that's a different conversation than this, but just someone that's not going to make mistakes. And yeah, like you pointed out, Flacco's kind of a different seed in that where he's going to make the right decisions. He may not have the accuracy to complete them all the time, which we saw from this last game. I saw plenty of air mails and I'm sure you doing the tracking got to see all of the air mails that he had. Um, do you think they can win a playoff game with Joe Flacco under center? Dude, I kind of do. Like, <laughs> it's, it sounds ridiculous, but like the AFC, just between some of the other quarterback issues, and really it doesn't feel like there's a powerhouse in the AFC. Like, the closest is probably the Ravens, but you even look at the Chiefs, and it's like the Chiefs are obviously a, still a good team, but they're pretty frustrating on offense. And this Browns defense is kind of designed to give them issues. Um, and then really none of the other AFC teams feel that good. Like Miami is liable to, to kind of falling apart. The Jaguars are a weird team. Like if the Colts get in, like, I don't feel very good about them. Like the Texans will probably get in, but even they are like kind of gettable cause they're still a very young team. So I'm, I don't think the Browns will win a playoff game, but it's on the table. I think he could do enough. They are probably more than likely going to be there as well. I mean, they're, they're in the middle of the hunt right now. Their schedule closing out the year hits the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals, which are winnable games for this team. It, it's hard. The Browns feel like every game is a winnable game for the Browns because their defense is just so good that they just really need to do something manageable on offense to win these games. And... I think they can get it done. I'd be excited to see. I don't know if I'd be excited to see Flack on the playoffs. That's the wrong word, and which is kind of like a testament to how many quarterbacks are hurt this year when we're like, wow, I'd be excited to see Joe Flacco and the Browns <laughs> in the playoffs. Like, that's so gross. But I don't know. It's kind of a cool story. I, I never had any issue with Flacco at the Ravens. He was fun to watch for all those years. Um, and I don't know. I just think it could be a fun turn of events to see them. And it's nice to watch him getting players on the team involved like you're seeing elijah morgan involved david and joku had a monster game given he was glaringly wide open on what like two of his touchdowns like just barely even covered uh but but we're seeing some life to the offense there elijah moore is getting involved cooper's had some down weeks but he's dealing with some injury stuff too and he just seems to be spreading the ball more than the other quarterbacks were getting all the pieces involved and it's working more than the other teams are and I agree with you. I think Flacco's the best option here. He got reverted back to the practice squad, but they can just bring him right back up. And I think this is their third time bringing him up. So once they bring him up this time, they have to sign him to the active roster. So we're going to get more games with Joe Flacco, which is not something I thought we would be talking about at week 14. But here we are anyway. The, but, the last thing I want to say about Flacco, he, after this past game, kept saying stuff like, man, I'm just so glad to be here. I feel like a 10-year-old kid again, all this stuff, like kind of getting like emotional. And I was like, dude, I used to be a Ravens fan and I don't really remember him being like this. Like it's kind of cool to that. see him actually feel human and like be be kind of emotional and, 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 and talk that way. I thought I thought that was actually the coolest part of what's been going on. So good for him, man. I'm glad he's 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 feeling good. Yeah, I feel like for some of these guys, when you take a step away from the game like that, yeah. like... You probably miss it. You know, it's been your whole life for so long that he's probably grateful to just have another opportunity before he hangs up the cleats for good. And 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy for him to have that opportunity too. Let's get some youth involved here. We finished our old man in the sea segment here with the Browns. Arguably one of the bigger hot topics of the season is the Bears quarterback, Justin Fields. As the year comes to a close and draft positions start coming up, it's going to become even more of a conversation because there's the question of, should they stick with Justin Fields moving forward? And you've charted him once this year in week 11 already. And you obviously did all of his charting last year. So you've seen your fair share of Justin Fields. Did you do any college charting on Justin Fields coming into the season? Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Yes, and he was unbelievable. He's he's him and CJ Stroud, which they're obviously in hindsight, it's like partly the offense, but they're the most accurate quarterbacks I've I've ever charted. Um, And it wasn't even just like the open throws that the offense is creating. Like they were awesome under pressure into tight windows, like yada, 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 all this stuff. Um, I really love fields coming out as a prospect. So all of the stuff that's like happened with him over the past three years has been frustrating because like the, the thing I'll say about fields, we all saw that Clemson game where he like cracked ribs, just absolutely gutting out one of the coolest performances we've ever seen in the playoff. And that guy just like didn't exist for two years in Chicago. And that to me was really sad. And we're starting to get some more of it now, which is cool. But the fact that that guy just like disappeared for two years was was like heartbreaking for me because he was such a cool player uh, coming out of college. So as a testament, even I saw that Clemson game. I I don't you probably don't know this. I don't watch college football almost at all, Um, which I should. I get that. I definitely should. Um, maybe one day I'll fix it. But as of right now, I don't watch college football. And I watched the Ohio State Clemson game where he balled out. And I was like, oh, this guy's should be in conversation with Trevor Lawrence. And then, like you said, the first two years of the career, I felt like I was deceived from that game. I was like, I don't, I don't see the same guy. But the Bears have something to do with that. Um, but you charted him this last week. Big upset in the Lions. You've charted him one previous game in the season in one of his other better games of the year in Week 11. Let's combine those a little bit and tell me what you've seen Justin from Justin Fields this year. A little bit, definitely a pivotal year. Usually you wait until your rookie deal is up to say that, but the Bears are probably in a draft spot that this is a very pivotal year for him. So tell me what you've seen that was the same as last year, different from last year, and just what you think moving forward. Yeah, so so what I'll say is is the same, and I think this game was actually a good example. Dude is just not a good quick game thrower. Like he he is a little bit slow on the trigger, and he kind of has this long throwing motion that really just disrupts the timing of what he's trying to do 
in that like one to 10 yard area when, when stuff is trying to come out on time. He, like he reads it out. Okay. It's just that it take it like physically takes him so long to get those ball, those throws out that he just is not very consistent in that area. The only time he really is ever successful in that short area is when they like go boot action and he's just throwing flat routes, which like that takes the timing element out of it, which is why he he's good at it. Um, so that part is kind of frustrating. And then I would say the accuracy at times is still a little bit frustrating, which has always been an issue for him in the NFL. I think part of the issue is like he does kind of have a low release, which I've talked about before with Levis, where sometimes trying to get the perfect touch on a ball when you have a low release like that can be a little bit of a problem. And so I do think that crops up for him at, at times. What I will say on on the flip side for him like what's improved this year, I think he's gotten a lot more confident. And I think you see that both in his pocket movement, pocket management, and just in the way that he's ripping throws. Like he is, he's just throwing the ball harder. Like you you see him committing to the throw, if that makes sense. Whereas like in previous seasons, it didn't feel like he was like fully bought in when he was making a lot of throws. I think he just didn't trust the offense, didn't trust receivers. Now that the offense is, you know, it's second year in the system, Receiving core is a little bit better with DJ Moore there. Cole Komet has like kind of come alive a little bit, which I think has been helpful. You can really see him start to rip throws. And like even in this game uh, against the Lions, he went five of eight into tight windows. And some of those throws were insane. I, I, I actually tweeted one of them where he's it's like an out route to Komet on third down man coverage. Um, it's from the far hash. He gets his left tackle like kind of pushed into his lap so that it, it's not a throwing platform you can like really lean into and throw into. He somehow just rips this ball to commit into a, a keyhole sized window, puts it on him on the boundary. I was like, holy hell, man, like there's like seven dudes who make that throw consistently. And that feels weird to say about like a little eight yard throw, but just the platform he needed, the, the platform he was throwing from pressure in his face, far hash that angle like that's a really difficult throw and the fact that he was able to make that was was so encouraging and then under pressure like i said like he used to be a guy who anytime something happened in the pocket boom gone out like he's gonna go try to run he doesn't do that anymore like he's very willing to to be creative in the pocket find cool arm angles like it's kind of the same development we've seen from jordan love where he where he's a lot more comfortable playing within the offense letting things play out holding on to the ball and really finding these interesting ways to get the ball out. So you can see him getting better. It's just he, he's still a little bit incomplete in some areas. So I think that's the hardest part with Fields for me is when you watch him, he just has that like that aura of being special. Like you just yeah. see it when he's playing where you're like, this guy can do everything a good quarterback needs to do. Like he, I don't when I watch him, I don't feel like there's an era, like a, an area of his game where he couldn't do it. There's no spot where I'm like there, he hasn't shown it. He's shown the arm talent. He's shown good decision-making from time to time. He's shown like standing in the pocket. He can get outside the pocket and run. He's insanely fast with straight line speed. Sometimes I forget about that and he rips it down the field and all of a sudden he starts outrunning everybody on the field. And I forget how like actually fast he is as a quarterback. It's the difference between like a Kyler Murray where like Kyler Murray looks like he's moving really, really fast. And he's, he's like moving at the same speed as everybody else. But like Justin Fields is just ripping. And 
but he he just like hasn't put it together at this point in his career. I feel like where you see the flashes everywhere of something special, but we're like waiting for it to be complete for more than like a couple games a season. A hundred percent. Like I will say, I, we're at the point with him where I'm confident that he's not bad. Like I, he feels useful at this point. He can do enough. Like there are very clear ways to make the offense work for him. Um, you know, they, they've done a really good job with boot, getting play action stuff, kind of minimizing quick game to like focus on the run game, getting him involved. There's clearly a formula and that's cool. That's cool that they've gotten there. It's just that it feels a little bit like Russell Wilson E where it's like we have to limit you to certain things. And I even mean like Seattle Russell Wilson where uh, you know, he could make the big plays because obviously Fields can do that and Russ really can't at this stage. But it does feel like you kind of have to put him in a box a little bit. But man, the things he can do, he's really good at it when it when it's clicking. So you just hope that a, a little bit more seasoning can get him to to iron out some of the inconsistencies there. I'm going to put you on the spot here then because why not? Um, right now, the Bears are projected to have, I believe, the number one overall pick. I'll vet that while we're talking here. But you're Ryan Poles. You've watched two seasons of the Bears. What are you doing moving into the draft at this point in time? Let's say you have to make the decision this week. I think it's really, really hard to land on the number one pick in this class with with Caleb and Drake May and to still be a little bit uncertain about what fields might be and not just reset and take one of Caleb or Drake may. And that's not even to me necessarily an indictment of fields. Like, like I said, I think he's clearly not bad at this point and you can put together solid offense with him. It's just that you still feel a little bit uncertain whether or not he's going to, to crack into that top eight, uh, which is ultimately what you're searching for. Whereas I feel like, if you're going to be uncertain at the quarterback position anyway, you might as well kind of reset the clock, um, you know, give yourself a little bit more breathing room and, and try to go get a guy like Caleb or Drake May and send Fields to Atlanta or Pittsburgh Atlanta, or something please, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, please, Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta is my dream destination. If not there, I would love to see Pittsburgh because personally, I'm done with Kenny Pickett and I think the Steelers are probably going to be too. Um but but yeah, I, I think it's just it's a really weird situation. And really, if they keep fields and just draft like Marvin Harrison and, and Joe Alt or, or whatever it is that they want to do and just fully go all in and see if this can work, totally get it. It's just I think if you're in such a unique situation like this, where the number one pick in a, in a really good quarterback class is falling into your lap, it's hard not to just reset and then kind of take that opportunity. Yeah, we haven't seen it that often. And and I did double check. They're projected right now to have the first and the fifth overall pick. Um, that'll depend on the Panthers primarily because I think the Bears will more than likely win at least one more game during the season. We haven't seen it all that often. Pretty much Josh Rosen is the most memorable of late of going back in in a first-round quarterback. It's happened before like previously, but we don't we don't see it all that much. Um, I haven't watched anything more than just highlight film on Drake May or Caleb Williams. I know he's supposed to be the next second coming of Patrick Mahomes, which I know you fought back against that he's not Patrick Mahomes. And um, I agree because no one's Patrick Mahomes. No one is. Player comparisons are always so tough. I, I've always been one for 
standing by your talent and like building around him. And I think that's the case in Arizona right now. If I'm the Cardinals, I think that's the right play with Kyler Murray to, to build around that. You already have the contract. But like you said, this is different. Justin Fields is still on the rookie contract. You have the chance to start over with the money um, and have another quarterback on a rookie contract that has potentially a higher ceiling than the quarterback you have. And part of me just thinks a fresh start would be good for both the Bears and Justin Fields. He kind of, I think, deserves someone that would be a little more all-in on him, maybe someone that'll have a little bit better offensive weapons. I love DJ Moore, but they haven't spent too much to try and build around him other than that this year, and we saw improvements this year. So it might be just one of those situations where a clean slate could just improve the Bears and Justin Fields' career. That, that's exactly where I'm at. And like I said, I wouldn't really blame them for, for doing either way. Like if they think Fields is a Marvin Harrison and one more tackle away, totally get it. It's just like I said, if you can reset, because that's the thing, you're going to have to pay him after this year. So that makes it a little scary. Whereas, you know, like we both mentioned, you could kind of reset everything with the contracts by just taking Mayor Williams. So, and like you said, it still feels like there's a little bit of battle scars with him playing in Chicago, even if he is getting better that maybe he could shed some of that if he went somewhere else. And we brought up Atlanta because that's, I mean, that's my dream spot. You said that's your dream spot too. And it just, I feel like it'd be the difference in like trust as well on the team. Like Bears fans don't trust Justin Fields. The Bears coaching staff, I don't think fully trust Justin Fields and they may not ever, but you go to a team like that, that, that truly feels like they're a quarterback away, the offensive system, say what you want about head coaching in Atlanta. They've been able to win gross games this year. I, I just would love that. I would just love that for a team that they're not going to have a quarterback pick in this draft. There's no way Atlanta is getting any of the top guys. It's just not going to happen. They're going to fumble their way into the playoffs somehow, which is gross. Um, but I would love to see that. I think it'd be a great fresh start for both those guys and just a good way to to end that situation in the bears right now but who knows they we've seen crazier things happen in chicago before so not wouldn't it be there's no way to predict that we're, we're not close enough yet to to say anything with a grain of salt um but that goes those out uh we'll have who are you writing up this week is it uh flacco or fields yeah it's actually going to be flacco just be, i i wrote about fields like three weeks ago so i don't want to write about him again but i'm going to write about flacco to try to contextualize what's going on there sweet so check out the website we'll have flacco's full profile up um you can see the charts we talk about them during the show on youtube these clips will be out there um and then justin fields you'll be able to see his graphics on Derek Klassen's twitter so go follow him there Let's close out the show with some off-script stuff, though. Um, we have two of your personal favorite quarterbacks on the docket here in uh, Matt Stafford and Lamar, who both had some solid, solid quarterback play this week. I've seen a lot of glowing reviews about Lamar, um, and I, I actually hopped on a podcast last night with Casey Kasem and talked about Lamar as my MVP vote, so I'm, I'm with you there. Um, but tell me what you saw from them this week that you want to gloat about. I really think from a quarterback versus quarterback perspective, this was the best game of the season. These two dudes were unbelievable all game. And what's funny is they're kind of similar in a lot of ways. Like 
you look at them physically, they're very different. Obviously, Lamar wins a lot more with, you know, he, he's a little bit twitchier. He's he's going to create outside the pocket more. He's a lot skinnier and he's shorter than Stafford. Stafford is a bigger, kind of got dad strength at this point. Obviously, wins more with arm strength, doesn't really move around. But their mannerisms in the pocket, like the way that they keep their eyes up, the ways that they'll move, the way that they'll find these weird sidearm angles, like it's actually very similar the way that they kind of handle themselves in the pocket. And so to kind of see them go back and forth with each other in this game, I thought was awesome. Lamar had a sequence in this game where he throws a touchdown and then they get to the two point play. He does this like crazy movement in the pocket and then he's like getting chopped down at his ankles like a tree. He still flicks the ball out to his receiver to fit it in on the sideline to convert the two pointer. I was like, okay, this dude's out of his mind. And then Stafford, Stafford had some throws in this game. Like he had, there was a touchdown he threw to Cooper Cup where getting pressure off the left side, I think it was like a free nickel blitz. Um, And Stafford just throws like an insane floater. Like in terms of a little like 15 yard touchdown, there's probably never been one that's been thrown higher in the air than he threw on that touchdown. And it hit, it it fell right in Cuff's hands and it was a great throw. And then he had a different throw in this game where he throws like a a deep crosser to Puka Nakua on the sideline that just Puka makes an awesome diving catch, but Stafford puts it in a window that like doesn't exist for all but three other quarterbacks. And that's just the type of stuff that he's done all year. So I don't know, man, to to see those two guys going back and forth where Stafford is legitimately playing as good as he did in the Super Bowl year. And Lamar is probably playing the best ball of his career. Just beautiful football, man. Just an unbelievably cool game to watch. No, that game was fantastic. I I almost not from a personal standpoint, because I needed the Ravens not to score for fantasy reasons. But from a personal standpoint, I wanted to see more of that over time because I just didn't want that game to end. And you're right. I think we've seen a different level of Lamar's game this year that people were asking for for years. They were like, yeah, he can run. Yeah, he can run the like Greg Roman offense. But can he play the quarterback position? And like, yeah, yeah, he can. He's straight up balling this year. His, his, his pocket management, like he's not just dipping when that pocket collapses like he gets out of space and his eyes are never wavering from downfield and he's making it happen man they his weapons still aren't that great either i know we talked about the like renaissance of the ravens weapons this year but they're not that good like zay flowers has been really really good as a rookie i'll give you that obj has looked better but he's still a shell of the superstar he was and Bateman has never kind of really materialized as their number one pick. And it doesn't matter. Lamar is still just like dropping these bucket passes. And we've seen that from, it's funny that you're comparing those two. I know you love them both, but yeah, I feel like we're just not talking enough about how Lamar is similar to like a Stafford now where he's not just a running quarterback. He's making those like creative adjustments in the passing game that just really brings his game to a different level. That's a scary quarterback to be facing right now. Very scary. And that's the thing. I feel like that to me is is the, the part that people have misunderstood about Lamar the most is he doesn't run like all the time. He he only really runs when he has to. He's a he's very much a guy where like if he's facing pressure, it's not like the old Justin Fields where it's like, oh, immediately I'm going to go make a play. That dude has eyes down the field. And if he feels there's nothing there, he'll go run. But that dude is looking to throw all the time. And he's he's been better at it this year than even before that like. I could I, I could do three separate podcasts in a row about Lamar, man. He's he's just phenomenal. 
he's a great player. He's I know you're on the DAC MVP train, which no hate for me. I think he's well-deserved. I'll place my money on Lamar because I think that's the the scariest team in the NFL right now. Um, I, I know the 49ers have been rolling, but they, there's really no one else I'd be more scared of than the Ravens and, and Lamar at this point. Um, tying in line with every quarterback being hurt, though, let's let's close out the show with one more one more gross one. Uh, we got some Drake Jake Browning content coming from Derek. What do you, what do you got for me? Yeah, my, my quick Jake Browning note here. It actually matters a lot for this Bengals offense that he can play under center because the thing with Joe Burrow, as wonderful as he is, top seven quarterback, really good, obviously going to be a guy who can take you to the Super Bowl every year um, or who has that capacity. He does not like playing under center. He doesn't like the deeper dropbacks. He doesn't like turning his back. He doesn't like all the tight window throws you have to make from under center um, with play action. Just doesn't want to do it. And so that obviously limits a little bit what the Bengals offense can do. Jake Browning is the total opposite. That dude wants to be under center. He wants to boot. He wants to go play action. He wants to do all that type of stuff. And I think, one, it's it's opened up the offense a little bit because they can still do a lot of the gun stuff they did with Joe Burrow. Um, but two, it's just such a different thing for offenses or for defenses to have to prepare for, for this Bengals offense, where for three, four years now, it's been okay. They're going to be in shotgun. They're going to be in four wide. They're going to do all this stuff where Joe Burrow is just BB gun shooting all over the field. And that's going to be their offense. Now it's like, oh God, we have to think more about the run. They can do more stuff in the run game. Oh my God. We got all these shifts and motions because they're under center. Now they can boot, which they were never doing like it it's working in part because they've never done this before. <laughs> and so at a certain point that shine might wear off, but for now it's, it's kind of keeping them alive, which is cool. It's like the opposite of the film you watch with the Bengals. All these teams are studying for a shotgun spread. And then all of a sudden yeah. you've just got like a little eye formation with a bunch of play action and you don't know what you're doing there. And I, I worry that I worry about the playoffs this year just because all of these teams, but I've seen a lot of comparisons with Jake Browning and being like, oh, obviously, anytime you have an unnamed quarterback, it's just always like, is this the next Brock Purdy? It's like, probably not, but he's winning them games, and that's all that matters for the Bengals right now. Right, he, he's doing his job. Good for him, man. He's a, he's a good backup. Good for him. That's all we have to say, though. <laughs> Appreciate everybody for tuning in. That's going to close out our week this week. I'm Zach. Thanks for being here, Derek. We'll see you next week. Peace.